0: Hello and welcome to the Space Between podcast. I am William
1: and I'm Katie. and in this podcast we talk about the complexities of life, faith in the 21st century and everything in between.
0: Often that space between is where a lot of us find ourselves. We hope to provide a place where people can be honest and we can engage with one another with compassion wherever we may end up on our journey. So today on the first episode of the Space Between podcast, we're going to do a very short introduction to who Katie and I are and at the end of it as well. We just decided that with all that's going on with COVID and the craziness that's happening in America right now. It's not
1: and, just
0: America. I mean, yeah, Brexit and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, that we would record and share one of my blogs from a couple of years ago called A Sam of Christian Atheism. Um, just talking about lament and how to go through sort of difficult seasons without feeling guilt or needing to feel just happy all the time but before we share that we just thought we'd introduce ourselves so Katie why don't you introduce yourself first tell us a little bit about who you are um, and your background and story with faith and uh, the church.
1: Hi I'm Katie I'm 26 and originally from Northern Ireland but have been living in Glasgow for just over a year I moved over in October 2019. I grew up in Northern Ireland which many people will know there's a lot of religion is a big part of the society there for some not so good reasons but I grew up kind of going through the norms of church in not a really personal way it's kind of you go christened Sunday school just to go um, weddings funerals all of that so grew up with a good knowledge but didn't practice faith Um, that's the type of home I I was brought up in as well but uh, when I was a teenager I got involved with some youth work but it wasn't kind of your bog standard gather everybody into a room turn or burn type thing Um, it was Christians serving the town that I'm from going and loving the community during the summer and me getting to be a part of that and through their actions that's what inspired me and pushed me actually I really want to learn about Jesus in a personal way I want to follow him. Um, teenage years have their ups and downs of course when you're figuring everything out but I was just really sold on a Jesus that loves and is practical and this idea of like an upside down kingdom that he's for the poor the marginalized the brokenhearted all of that I just love that imagery and I was totally sold out for it so I follow have been following him since around since I was about 16 years old so 10 years yeah, there you go. Mm, a whole decade, decade yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and through that, I've had some great experiences. Um, I went and studied theology and history for my undergraduate degree. That was really interesting because uh, just all the different opinions and perspectives that you're kind of looking at and debating. Um, but I suppose it set me up well to be able to deal with um, different opinions and still come out of it in a in a good way. I worked for church as well, I did a lot of youth work. I also worked for a faith-based charity, working with more marginalized young people in schools, um, and a group of friends. We decided to establish a missional community in a certain area near where we're from. And I also went and did a master's that was based around social justice um, and policy and how we respond to things like that. That wasn't obviously faith-based, but it, I suppose, my faith pushed me to do it, if that makes sense. Um, it's something I feel like God's probably put heavy on my heart, how we can actually create a better place for people and show him in practical things through the systems that we create for everyone in our society. And that's what brought me to Glasgow. I felt him then, once I did that, um, pushed me towards an organisation um, here that I can work for that kind of does that whole thing, systemic change. Um and but also working practically with people,
0: so you weren't really brought up with the sort of baggage of a lot of church culture, I suppose. You your parents like how were they in terms of influencing?
1: Oh no, definitely didn't like be. I wasn't brought up with baggage at all. I feel like I have really had the best of it, so to speak. I've had people that have modelled faith out in a practical way um since the beginning for me looking back in hindsight well, we didn't necessarily go to church as a family except for kind of those big things it's just kind of a traditional thing you do isn't it um I feel like my parents brought us up with really good strong Christian values if you want to call them that so ideas of like hospitality and loving and looking out for people and things like that um my parents you would <laughs> my mum once said to me as a joke katie i'm a christian i'm just not a born again christian like she kind of made this like there was a difference between it but at the same time there is no difference if that makes sense so she obviously believes in jesus and and everything that you're taught um but shows it in the way that she loves people around her um you've seen that you come to our house continuously feeds you (laughs) (laughs) you see that like our our house has an open door policy so you just come in and people just go into the biscuit tin and everything and she just feeds people and the amount of things she's probably done without us knowing for people in need is there's probably a list that would be too long my dad is so so smart um that's where I get it from, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I
0: was going to say that on paper, you're smarter than you me as the am. master's. You?
1: And a module from the master's. Yeah. yeah. And some other small qualifications, but we won't go into that. Yeah, it's um, just bragging. <laughs> but my dad, yeah, he's a really smart man. Probably has read the Bible, covered back numerous times, can like give you every debate, every argument, um, but still comes out of it believing in all the good things, despite what he has experienced in a culture, Northern Irish culture, where religion divides. Mm-hmm. So I've been brought up um, not to completely polarise myself from people and that following Jesus is practical, not just things that we say out loud and believe we're ticking boxes for, If if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so it seems like you've been brought up in a culture where like the usual or sort of more frequent result is where people are polarized or mm. where it is about a certain image or just saying a specific set of words to identify with a particular community but from your experiences of church which are much more positive than the ones that I've had um, and from what you've told me everything has been a lot more practical and about helping those with out anything and those in the most need and that's where the sort of work of the missional community that you're talking about comes in so what was what's the sort of difference between like for those who maybe don't know a missional community and like a missionary for example like you're not going in in particular to just like oh here's some charity and then leave mm. like it's it's different from that so what what is it
1: yeah, so I'll just give you kind of a quick run through of, you know, what pushed us to do that, um, because that helps explain a lot of it as well. A group of friends of mine um, <clears throat> noticing kind of the need in a certain area that's really known for high poverty levels, suicide rates, and lots of other kind of major issues. We just saw that actually this is just two minutes down the road from us, and, you know, if Jesus were here, we just believed that that's where he'd be, just be chilling out with people and chatting to them just the way he did. Um, in the Bible and we were all part of a great church that was at the centre of um, the community in terms of the town I belong to um, and so we've always had that great leadership of what it means to extend the welcome not just to someone in a suit for example who fits a certain criteria but for everyone but for us there was something about taking a step further um, which is what we refer to as a, a missional community and it was actually about being within the community um, and it wasn't with the goal of going in, doing something and being like, okay, you have to come to church now where they would listen to a sermon and it's about giving your life to Jesus and so on. But it was much deeper than that. It was actually about living within the community and loving them and serving them um in your day-to-day through relationships. So a few of the guys who could afford it, they were able to get a few houses and live literally um in the different streets and got to know their neighbors and so on. And we named it Cara and I'm sure we'll Yeah we'll
0: talk, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll now. talk
1: about it sometime. Um but cara is the Irish word for like friendship. But another way you can translate it is our connection with one another and that was what it was all about. We just felt that actually we could bring Jesus to this community through relationship. Um and as I said, church in the way that we understand it isn't accessible for a lot of people yeah. but love which is who jesus is and hope and joy and all those things is but it's not actually about being there and saying i'm committed and it, you're not just a project type yeah. thing it's not coming in and going again and celebrating oh we did this and obviously i've been away as well and done you know different things but a community just a different way of supposed to do in church. It's yeah. getting out of that mindset that church is just on a Sunday. Yeah. It's every day. It's, it's about we-
0: the community that you're forming as well. Yeah. Well, you've had very much more positive uh, experiences than I have with uh, with church and Christianity. Um, for me, I was brought up in the Church of Scotland and... I don't really have many memories of it or going to it I just remember that one Sunday I came out and I said to my mum and dad why do we do this on a Sunday why don't we spend time together as a family and they were just like yep good point point." and uh, then after that I was not in church for years really um, and then when I was a teenager in secondary school um, in our religious education class some people came in from a local youth group to talk about life after death. And at this point, like... That's heavy. <laughs> I know it was a heavy class, but I had loads of questions um, I asked. They invited me along to the youth group and I went because I knew a couple of my friends who went there at the time. Um, I ended up going up to the highlands of Scotland with them snowboarding. And that was the first time that I kind of experienced, like, that sort of Christian community of, like, people praying and actively worshipping God and anything kind of similar to an evangelical church. Um, And I went to church that Sunday after the camp and I gave my life to Jesus, as they say. (laughs) And and, uh, from there, that would have been 2009, I believe, I was in church. I was fully committed. My family started coming back to church again after that. Um, we were all sort of involved with it um, and I wanted to study theology when I was leaving school But the pastor from that church actually discouraged me from studying it, and I ended up going to study law instead. So while I was at university in Glasgow, because I'm originally from a sort of more rural area down the sort of west coast of Scotland, but while I was at university in Glasgow, I ended up moving up to a church in Glasgow, and that is when stuff began to get really bad um, (laughs) quite quickly of the, the previous church, although there's a lot of things that now I disagree with, like very strongly theologically. Um, I mainly have positive memories of my experiences with the the people there, the friendships I have and a lot of the people that I know from there I'm still friends with today. But the second place, um, not as much. From the start of being there I was kind of all in from the beginning I did their internship program, became part of leadership quite quickly, served on the worship team, spoke on platforms, did all that sort of stuff, um, ended up getting engaged to someone within the congregation there. And then a series of events happened, which caused me to really seriously question my faith. Um, and for a lot of people that I knew at the time, I was someone that they would come to with questions of like, how do I deal with this doubt or this specific issue? But then I began to doubt myself because of a series of different events. There was about a third of the church left in one go, a bunch of newspaper articles came out, I ended up in hospital personally, and had a bit of time to sort of reflect on what had been happening. Um, and at that time I thought, well, at least I have my faith. And so I did like an apologetics course and went through all of that to try and defend it. And I just remember standing in church one Sunday and it felt as if the floor like fell out from underneath me. And I just thought, I I don't know if I can really believe any of this anymore. And I look back in some of my journals from the time and it's just me saying, what would it mean and what would the consequences be if I just no longer believed in God? And I remember listening to a podcast by Richard Rohr. Uh, just about prayer at my mum and dad's house. And it was the first time that I really felt the presence of God like in a long time. And I went up to my bedroom and I uh, sat on the floor and just continued to read over this one psalm which says, Oh, my soul, wait in silence before God, for my hope is in Him. And I just felt as if God almost said to me, like, You've got permission to explore. And from then, I listened to literally hundreds of hours of podcasts like The Bible for Normal People, The Deconstructionists, Rob Bell's podcast, and then began to read a lot of books. From there, I began to become really sort of aware of what I didn't believe, but not so much what I actually did believe. But when I opened up to my fiancé at the time and to other leaders within the church, the response was very bad um everything from being called demonic to um that's a, her- a heretic i know influenced by demons because <laughs> i had struggled to pray to a heretic to out of line with the majority of christianity um and that was just for saying that like the book of revelation wasn't about microchips and a chinese army so um <laughs> that's is, this is a good one yeah. um <laughs> But yeah, uh, since then I've sort of moved on and began processing a lot of my sort of deconstruction as, as people would maybe call it and came to a much more sort of positive place of understanding maybe what I actually believe and some like positive affirmations but hold on to it a lot more loosely than before and definitely have a much bigger focus on the practical elements than I did previously. So whereas you've kind of been brought up with the practical elements, I was brought, not brought up by my parents, but brought up within the church to be focused on belief and doctrine mm. as the central thing. And that if you were slightly off on that, then everything was going wrong, essentially. But now it's much more focused on the sort of practical and how to best serve and love people. Mm. Um, so yeah, that is a short introduction to both of us. Uh for the rest of this podcast there is just a sort of monologue of a, a blog that I wrote, as I said at the beginning a couple of years ago, um just about a psalm of Christian atheism. So I hope you enjoy that. We have a few episodes lined up and interviews that are being recorded in the next couple of weeks, so we're excited to share those with you. Um, but yeah stay tuned for more if you want to stay up to date then just follow at the space between UK thanks meaningless everything is meaningless sometimes I just can't bear it I'm burnt out with and tired from this life I go to bed at night and flood my bed with tears they say only the fool says there is no god well, today I feel like that fool. I have good reason to feel like this though. You seem to stand far from my pain. You hide yourself when I seek you. It feels like you have been absent forever. My heart breaks at the thought. It makes me wonder why you would even allow me to be born. If this was a pain you knew I would feel, it would have been more merciful for you to let me die of birth. Surely, it is you that has caused this. It feels like your arrows have been shot into my back. Everything I do to try and numb this feeling is helpless. My days endless emptiness, my nights deep misery. It makes me wonder, have you rejected me? Or have I rejected you? Your love, it has ceased. Your promises have ended. This feels like hell. I join the company of those who know you have forgotten them. I wait for you to return to show yourself as real again to me. But my waiting feels like continual night. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I originally wrote this as a blog post and called it a psalm of Christian atheism. Now the reason that I did that is because everything that was in that poem or or psalm you could call it just there was based off of examples in scripture and this in the Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Job, which makes me wonder why this isn't language that's more common in the church, especially with all that's been going on over the past couple of weeks well, the past year really, with COVID and the American election and Brexit here in the UK, there's been so much to cause us to feel abandoned by God, to feel alone, to feel despair. And yet, this language has been almost absent in our dialogue about this. Not entirely, but I'm referring more to Christian spaces here. Because I'm sure that you maybe you've felt like this in the past year that God was absent or missing or dead. I know I definitely have felt like this more than once. And there are a few factors that come into play when considering what this experience means for each of us and how it affects our lives and our faith. It's necessary to consider the ways in which experiences like this are often either denied, demonised or simply rejected within much of the church today. I know I have a tendency personally to disconnect from how I actually feel or to numb the pain of this feeling of divine abandonment. This space is a hard one to navigate through alone and often the community that says it should help the most, the church doesn't do a very good job at making room for expressing a sense of loss and doubt. Even in churches which openly discuss the experience of doubt, there's often a, dis- a disclaimer added onto the end of the conversation. To give an example, you may hear one of the Psalms quoted above on a Sunday at church. There may even be an acknowledgement of the fact that the Psalms often express anger, frustration or doubt towards God. But in the end, the sermon is resolved with the idea that ultimately, the Psalmist usually chooses to praise God anyway. Which is often true, but that's beside the point we haven't reached the end of our story. We haven't seen the end to our situation where we feel alone and we feel abandoned. And being able to express this feeling of loneliness or sorrow, lament is what is called, is important and it's necessary. Often the response that we're met with is more a list of carefully curated Christian cliches such as pray until something happens or analogies like the footprints in the sand analogy and they often don't carry any weight in the face of real suffering and real doubt. Although I do firmly believe that God is a God of hope love and joy that does not subtract from the fact that God is also the God of this reality and in this reality pain and suffering are very real and are often just one day away from every one of us. Peter Rollins in his book Insurrection to Believe as Human to Doubt Divine said this The endless courses and apologetics, triumphalist music, confident prayers and sermons of certainty don't necessarily reflect the beliefs of the people offering them or receiving them but everyone participates regardless because they protect us from facing up to the anxieties of our existence. In this way, much of the contemporary church resembles a drug that prevents us from facing up to the suffering and the difficulty that is part of life. But that seems really true to me. We allow the sermons on eschatology and the end times to distract us from the fact that we have a very real threat to the world climate today. We use the worship song about blissful paradise that awaits in the next life to avoid the fact that we can't pay our bills and we don't have a very good relationship with the people in front of us right now. We use prayers of confident hope for healing to mask the fact that we are still heartbroken from our loved one dying of cancer or Covid even. Before Christianity was a religion and while followers of Jesus were still very small in number and meeting in small house churches. A man named Paul penned these words about this marginalised group of Jesus fanatics. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable but God has so arranged the body giving the greater honour to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together with it. When I went through one of the hardest periods of my life a couple years ago I received two very different responses from people. The first was to be told that they were just sorry about my situation and that they would pray for me. The second instantly offered to come and spend time with me and get pizza. The ones who told me they would pray for me are now no longer in my life and the ones who said they would come to be with me still are. Suffering with someone is not just directing our minds towards them in prayer but instead trying to posture our minds to understand their suffering fully and feel the weight of the pain with them. It is easy to distance ourselves from one another's immediate pain by expecting God to fix it when in actuality he has called us to be the answer to our very own prayers for our fellow human in need through the simple act of coming alongside one another. Like Jesus with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, maybe our first response shouldn't be to reassure, to go into the mini-sermon on the faithfulness of God or to offer our prayers, but instead to feel the pain and simply weep. The point where we connect with these emotions, where we feel the most darkness around us, where we feel spiritually dead and in some cases even close to giving up and trusting God altogether, is the place where often God is found. I read this quote in one of the daily meditations from the Centre of Action and Contemplation. It says this, There is a light in us that only darkness itself can illuminate. It is the glowing calm that comes over us when we finally surrender to the ultimate truth of creation, that there is a God and we are not it. Then the clarity of it all is startling. Life is not about us, we are about the project of finding life that moment, spiritual vision illuminates all the rest of life and it is that light that shines in darkness. The life that this quote refers to is what some people call a life formed in the shape of the cross, a life formed through death, a death resulting in resurrection. Know that the pain that you may be experiencing now is not something to hide or be ashamed of, but rather they are signs pointing towards the hope for new life. We get to this new life not through denying our emotions and just praising God anyway, but by being open and honest with God and with other people. Maybe you need to shout at God, maybe you need to swear, maybe you need to go to counselling, maybe you need to talk to your friends about it without a positive filter and, and instead be like Job, confident in the fact that what you're going through right now is simply not right There are no fingers to be pointed at you or others just a cry like Job declaring human life is a struggle isn't it? It's a life sentence to hard labour. Human suffering and pain is one of the most consistent themes of our history and every culture and every nation is a common language which we all share and one which when we experience it allows us to connect with each other in a deeper way is the reason why songs of heartbreak and pain can be far more helpful in times of trouble than songs of confident hope. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard put it like this, What is a poet? An unhappy man who hides deep anguish in his heart, but whose lips are so formed that when the sigh and cry pass through them, it sounds like lovely music, and people flock around the poet and say, Sing again soon. That is... May new sufferings torment your soul, but your lips be fashioned as before, for the cry would only frighten us, but the music that is blissful. This tradition within church history and liturgy is called lament, and we find many examples of it throughout scripture, but almost entirely absent from western churches. The tradition of lament is something for which we have many great examples within scripture and within church history. To name just a few, we see David in many of the Psalms, the Book of Lamentations, Job, Ecclesiastes, almost all of the major and minor prophets, and Jesus himself. We see this also in the lives of many well-esteemed Christians such as Saint John of the Cross who spoke of the dark night of the soul, and Saint Teresa who in her private correspondence with her spiritual director said this, Now Father, since 49 or 50 this terrible sense of loss. This untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me that pain deep down in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. And then it is that I feel he does not want me. He's not there. God does not want me. Sometimes I just hear my own heart cry out, my God, and nothing else comes. The torture and pain I can't explain. This rich and broad tradition of lament found within Christianity can teach us something about God. He's not afraid of our doubt, anger or pain, but instead gladly welcomes it as a cry of a child in need. His response is not an ethereal decree from a high throne in heaven saying it is all going to be okay or just praise me anyway or this is for a purpose but rather a cry that comes from the depths of a God who himself is in pain on the cross that says my God, my God why have you forsaken me? God experiencing the loss of God, God in pain, God in suffering, God with us. Surely this is the true message of Christianity. Not an angry God somehow appeased by the suffering of his son, but instead a God revealed within suffering, experiencing it alongside his creation, even to the point of our greatest pain, death. This is why for me I find Christianity to be beautiful in some parts, even though I remain discouraged with so much of it. John Mark McMillan put it like this in his song, The Road, The Rocks and The Weeds. Come down from your mountain, your high-rise apartment and tell me of the God you know who bleeds and what to tell my daughter when she asks so many questions and I fail to fill her heaviness with peace when I've got no answers for hurt knees or cancers but a saviour who suffers them with me singing goodbye Olympus, the heart of my maker, spread out on the road, the rocks and the weeds. Today, if you're in the space of feeling abandoned by God, then I want to let you know that God is with you in a very real sense. He knows your pain and is in it with you. I also want to point you to some resources that will hopefully be helpful for you. Please find them linked in the show notes. And may you find peace in the space between.